In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, starting from verse 12. Chapter 14 is the dialogue that our Lord Jesus Christ, or the discourse that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the disciples on Covenant Thursday after he washed their feet and after he gave them his body and his blood, the Eucharist, and after Judas left. And the Lord told them that one of you will betray me. So they became troubled. They became afraid. So the Lord started chapter 14 by assuring them telling them, let not your heart troubled. And he told them, I will go to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place, I will come and take you with me. So where I am, you will be with me. From actually verse 12, let's read verse 12. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. So actually the Lord promised that. Promised before he leaves the world that the disciples will share in his power. The works I will do, you will do, even you will do greater works. So now he is offering them a fresh ground of consolation to comfort them because they were troubled when he told them about his departure. This fresh ground of consolation based on double consideration. The first one, that he will depart from them, but he will continuously abiding with them by his spirit. As we read in Matthew chapter 28, I will be with you always unto the end of the ages. And the second is on uh, the reflect of the realization that they are one with him, they will be united with him, the reflect of this on their faith and also on the world. So when they realize that he will abide in them and he will be united with them, this actually will strengthen their faith and also will be reflected on the world in preaching the word of God. As if here he is throwing the arm of his love around uh, about them. Not only around the 11 disciples, but all the believers in him. He impressed them with his love. Uh, in a sense, when he told them, the works that I will do, you will do even greater works in a sense that he is drawing them up to his own uh, divinity. 
Uh, whoever believes in the sun becomes one with the sun. And since I am united with the sun, then I will have the sun. If I believe with the sun and I am united with the sun, I will have the sun. And also I will have the father also because the father is in the son and the son is in the father. And in this way I will be an instrument through which God who dwells in me can do the works in the world. If the father and the son and the Holy Spirit dwells in me, then I will be an instrument in the hand of God and God through me can do his works in the world. So the very works of healing, helping men, even raising the dead, preaching the glad tidings to the poor and needy, all these, the believer who is united with God can do. When God gives them these gifts, because God will distribute the gifts as he wills. And we saw in the book of Acts, for example, Paul raised Aftichus from dead. Uh, Peter raised Tabitha, Ghazal, from dead. So as the Lord told them, the very works I, I do, you will do even greater works. So, how can we understand this? Christ will do the same kind of work in us. So, in another word, the believer will do the same words of Christ when Christ dwells in him. So, Christ in me will do the same works. But what about and greater works? How can we understand that we'll do greater works than his? Of course, in no way we will be greater than Christ. This doesn't mean that we are greater than Christ. But means that the power that will come from Christ after his ascension to heaven will do greater works through the apostles because they are his representatives in the world. So in his ascension, after he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and after he has bound Satan on the cross. So, when Christ ascend, he will do through us greater works than what he did during his life on earth. So, we should not understand the word greater works like in individual instances of miraculous power. No, but in the whole work of the church. So that the church as a whole will do greater work because Christ is doing this work through the church, greater work than the time of his incarnation on earth. And the day of Pentecost witnessed the first fulfillment of this prophecy. 3,000 persons believed on Christ on that day. This never happened during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth. 
Now Christ is working through the apostles and made 3,000 persons believe in Christ. And he gave the reason why we can do greater work. He said, because I go to my father. As we read in, in verse 12, because I go to my father. So the contrast here between works and greater work is between his humiliation during his incarnation, the three years and half that he performed his miracles on earth. And when he exalted after his ascension and seated at the right hand of the father. So the comparison between the work done in his flesh and those done also by him, but after his ascension and after binding the Satan. So the earthly work of Christ have ceased after his ascension to heaven. Now he is gone to the Father and the disciples and the believers, his representative on earth, he will do in them greater work. So we are his representative on earth as he is our representative in heaven before the Father. So we will do his work and the work will be greater because now he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will do whatever we ask in his name. Whatever we ask in his name, he will do for us. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, this means, as if he is saying, as my representative on earth, as persons doing my work, living in my spirit, seeking as I have sought to do the will of my Father. That's what the word in my name means. In my name, not just mere words through Jesus Christ our Lord. No. In my name means praying and working as the representative of Christ, as the ambassadors of Christ. In the same spirit in which Christ prayed and worked, by total submission to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is a condition of a successful prayer. What's the condition here? That every work we do and every prayer we pray will be for the glory of God, will be for the furtherness of the kingdom of Christ on earth, not for personal glory that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14 is a repetition, is emphasis. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So verse 14 is emphatic repetition of the promise and its condition. The promise referred here to the apostles, but we can extend it and this promise can be true to all Christians. If we ask in faith and according to the will of God, 
that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit may be glorified, then our prayer will be answered. Although we are undeserving, but God the Father loves us because he sees in us the image of his Son. That's why whatever we ask in the name of the Son, he will do for us. And when we call on the name of the Son, this means and reveals that we call upon his divine presence. We believe that the Son is God. Jesus is God, not just a human being. And this is why in all divine mysteries, in all the sacraments of the church, in our all personal prayer, uh, we proclaim and say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we are praying in the name of the Holy Trinity, in the presence of the Holy Trinity. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. So the Lord again is putting another condition. So here the Lord is requiring from us a steady obedience to his commandment as a condition that our prayer may be heard. So the Lord, as if he's saying to the disciples, don't show your love toward me by grief at my departure or grief at the time of my crucifixion or by confessing by your mouth that I am the Messiah. No, if you love me, keep my commandment, obey me. That's what reveals your love toward me, your obedience. So the disciples of Christ, we are included, are required to show that they are attached to him totally by yielding to all his requirements, to all his commandments, and by patiently doing his will, even if we face ridicule and opposition. St. John Chrysostom said, God requires love that is demonstrated through deeds. That's why the Lord told his disciples, he who loves me, loves my commandment or keep my commandment. Having told them, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He didn't want them to think that all what they need to do only is just to ask in the name of Jesus. No. Therefore, he added, if you love me, keep my commandment. So our love and our obedience is a condition for our answer to prayer. He assured them, if you comply with this condition, you obey my commandment, then he will answer our prayer and he will send us another comforter, advocate, monitor, uh, or mentor, encourager, uh, or intercessor. As we read in verse 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The word I pray the Father, this word actually is different than 
the Lord saying, pray to the Father. In Greek origin, the word means asking which is based on close and intimate fellowship. So this word implies just presentation of a wish or a desire from equal to equal. So when St. John in his gospel speak about the prayer of Jesus, he used this word, erotan. He never used the word that can be interpreted asking, which represent our prayer or seeking something from God. Prayer from inferior to superior. So there are two words, from equal to equal or from inferior to superior. He, he told us, I will pray that another helper will be with you. When the Lord fulfilled the act of redemption on the cross and ascended to heaven, he will send us the Holy Spirit. Helper in Greek means parakletos. And parakletos have different meaning. It can mean advocate, intercessor, counselor, protector, supporter. The <coughs> Greek etymology of the word para means to the side. Kletos means to summon, to call. So the word means to be called to someone's side, to be called to someone's side in order to accompany, in order to console, to protect, or to defend. So the Holy Spirit is called to be on our side, to defend, to accompany, to protect, to comfort. That the word parakletos means. Why he said another helper? Another helper means distinct from Christ because the hypostasis of the Holy Spirit is distinguished from the Son and from the Father. During his incarnation, Christ has been the helper to his disciples. Now after his ascension, he will send another helper. He will be given to the church in the place of Christ as advocate, as defender, as teacher, to give assistance because Christ now is going to the Father. But the advocate who is to be sent is not different from Christ. Uh, rather, he is similar to Christ. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in essence. Although they are distinguished from each other, but they are one in essence. And he said, this helper, he will abide with you forever, forever. So the thought of permanent abiding is opposed to the separation that about to happen when Christ dies on the cross and then he ascends to heaven. So here the Lord is comforting them. This helper will not remain with you for three years and then will ascend 
or disappear from you. No, he will abide with you forever. Uh, yes, we can say the Lord will come again to them when the Holy Spirit descend upon them. For example, through the Holy Spirit, we pray on the bread and wine and we'll have the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ with us on the altar. So we can say, Jesus will come again when he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So uh, the spiritual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will feel it when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? To comfort the, the disciples, to teach them, to remind them of the truth, to help them in their work, to advocate their cause, to assist them in advocating the cause of Christianity in the world and in bringing sinners to repentance. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 17, it starts by the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. So now he is explaining what he meant by another comforter. The other, or the other comforter that was mentioned in verse 16, he is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth because the Holy Spirit is the one who revealed all the truth in the Scripture. As St. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21, no word of prophecy came by private interpretation, but the man of God spoke and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the holy man wrote the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he's the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit also reveals the truth in our heart, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. So, after the first comforter, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended to the heaven, he would pray, he would ask the Father for another comforter to be with us. That is the Holy Spirit. The Lord said before, I am the truth. But this truth ascended. Now he sent to us the spirit of truth. But as the world rejected Jesus, the truth, the world also will reject the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. That's why the Lord said in verse 17 that the world cannot receive him because the world neither sees him nor knows him. Uh, St. John in first letter, chapter 3, verse 24, he said, 
Though this we know that he abides in us. Through this we know that he abides in us. How we know that God is abiding in us? By the Spirit whom he, he has sent, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, when God sent us the Spirit to abide in us, in this way God, the Holy Trinity, abide in us. But the unbelieving world, caring only for the things of the senses, has lost its spiritual perception. No spiritual perception. It has no eye to see, nor heart to know the spiritual things, because the spiritual things are discerned spiritually only. The spirit of the truth, which the world does not know, is the basis of knowledge in believer. We know through the Holy Spirit. He, he will teach us. He dwells and remains with us. He will live in us. And we will know him as long as we are steadfast in him. We will know him and he will teach us. St. Augustine said, He is seen in an intangible manner. And it is impossible to possess any knowledge of the Holy Spirit if he does not dwell in us. So, to know the Holy Spirit, he must dwell in us. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we will know him. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking of his disciples his children, as his children, so when he leaves them as if they are orphans, but he is assuring them, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you to destitute and bereaved. I will come to you. Actually, in Greek, there is emphasis. I do come to you. To actually denote the certainty and the suddenness of his coming. I will come to you in a very short time, as we read in verse 19. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because... I live, you will live also. Little longer. Little, why little? In a very short time, on the third day of my resurrection, he, he rose again from the dead and appeared to them for 40 days. I told you this conversation happened when on Thursday, he died on Friday, then they saw him on Sunday. So he told them a little longer. A little while longer. Also, when the Holy Spirit will abide on them, He will abide with them forever. Jesus will be with us forever. St. John Chrysostom said, As the disciples did not understand the words spoken to them and were not sufficiently comforted, 
when the Lord told them, I will send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. This word they could not comprehend, they could not understand. That's why the Lord repeated and told them, I will not leave you orphans. They had prayed for that more than anything else. The disciples prayed that God will be with them. They don't want to be to live as orphans. And the Lord's words here, I will come to you, clarify that he would come again to them. You will see me in the 40 days from resurrection and ascension. But you will see me again in the spiritual sense after the descent of the Holy Spirit. So the word have their first fulfillment in the 40 days. But this appearance were themselves steps in the education which was leading the disciples from a trust in the physical to a trust in the spiritual presence. So during these 40 days, during the appearance, the Lord changed them or moved them from to trust only in the physical presence of Christ to trust in the spiritual presence of Christ. To the world, the grave, the tomb, was a closing scene for Jesus Christ. They saw him no more. They thought of him as dead. But to the believers who had the power to see him, he appeared as living for 40 uh, days. And in, in very deed was more truly with them and in them than he had been before, after his ascension to him. St. John Chrysostom said, the Lord is telling them, I will come to you in a manner that is different from my coming the first time. His word, because I live, you will live also. Indicate that the cross will not separate us until the end of the time. It would just make me disappear for a short while, three days. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was referring not only to his present life, but also to the life to come. When he said, because I live, you will live too. You will live not here on earth, but in eternal life. Verse 20. In that day, or at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I in my Father, you in me, and I in you. In that day, which day? Which day? So, maybe that the day of his resurrection, maybe it's the day of the Pentecost, when he sent the Holy Spirit, so it can be on the day of resurrection when he appeared to the disciples in the upper room or the day of the Pentecost. You will know that I in the Father when you see my resurrection and I in you and you in me. The knowledge of these things promised 
design a more clear and distinct knowledge. Something for them was known already, but not so perfectly as should be hereafter. So now they know or they hear the word, the Lord is telling them, I am in you and you are, you will be in me. But on that day, on the day of resurrection, and on the day of Pentecost, they comprehended in a clearer way the word that the Lord spoke to them before his crucifixion. So before his crucifixion, they heard the word, but it was not clear what did he really mean, but I will be in you and you in me. But after the Pentecost, this uh, indwelling became clearer to their mind. That's why the Lord said, at that day, at that day. At the day when you showed me alive in, in flesh again, in my body again, when you see me raised from the dead, then you will believe that I in the Father, because now I am declared the Son of God with power, as St. Paul mentioned in Romans chapter 1. And when it would appear that he has the same power with the Father, he is in the Father and the Father in him, because he raised himself from the dead, uh, and he raised as our first fruit, representing us, and all of us will be raised in his second coming. He rose from the dead for our justification, so now we are justified. Now we are, our sins is dismissed. So now we know that we are in him and he is in us. So in that day can be the day of resurrection or can be the day of Pentecost when the spirit of truth that he promised us to come uh, when the spirit of truth come upon us in extraordinary way, like tongues of fire dwelling on them, and lead them to the knowledge of these things. The spirit of truth, when dwells in us, he will help us to realize and confess the divinity of Christ. No one can say Christ is God except by the Holy Spirit. Also at that day, at that day, can refer to the second coming, the resurrection day. Because on that day we will rise and will be united with Christ and we will live with him forever. And in that day we will have perfect knowledge of this several union, how Christ is in the Father and how we are in Christ and how Christ in us. This perfect knowledge we will attain in the second coming of Christ. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So now the Lord 
is speaking about the conditions on which depends the manifestation of Christ to the world. So not only I say I believe in Christ, then I will have this knowledge and I will realize that I am in Christ and Christ in me. No. This is not enough. The demons, as St. James said, they believe and tremble. So the mere faith means nothing. But the manifestation of this knowledge, the manifestation of Christ, is dependent on this love. The love that is manifested in obedience, not in the shallow faith, not in the faith of the demons who believe and tremble. So the true testimony of our love for our Lord Jesus Christ is our obedience to his law and his commandment. That's why he said, and keeps them, keeps the commandment. This is the expression and proof of love. And this love finds its response and reward in the love of the Father and of the Son. He who keeps my commandment, the Father loves him. And the Son loves him. So when we keep the commandment, the Father will love me and the Son will, will, will love me. And then the Son will be manifested to me. That's what he said. He who keeps my commandment will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because uh, Jesus told them, the world cannot see me, but you will see me. Judas is thinking about physical manifestation. So now he is perplexed. How physically we will be able to see you, but the rest of the world cannot see you. So how this could be or could happen? St. John here saying Judas not Iscariot to, to distinguish him beyond all possibility of confusion between Judas Iscariot who had gone out into darkness and no longer with them. He left already after he took the bread. He left. But now there is another Judas. So the other Judas, some scholars said he is Libaus or Sidious, and also he is a brother of James. But there is many opinion about this, but just yeah, leave it at this. The word manifest that Judas used here is exactly like the word see that Philip used when he said to Jesus, show us or let us see the Father and it is sufficient. See here or manifest, it is visible manifestation. 
like the manifestation to Moses. Uh, but the response of our Lord Jesus Christ took Judas by surprise. He's asking, how come you will be able to manifest yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. That's a repetition. And we, the father and me, will come to him and make our home with him. So this answer took Judas by surprise. Did Judas realize at that moment what the Lord was proclaiming about himself? Or was he still thinking of the Lord as earthly king? If he is still thinking of Jesus as earthly king, he wouldn't understand these words. Because the Lord here is repeating the condition necessary on our part in order for the manifestation of God to be possible. What is this condition? We love him, we keep his command. So this is the answer. The world in its unbelief and rejection of Christ's word and Christ's commandment, and because the world will not have the spirit of love, so the world cannot receive this manifestation. So why the world will not see Christ? Because they did not love God, because they did not obey his word. But whoever believes in me and loves me, then the Father will love him. The Father and myself will come to him. We make our home with him. As if he is saying, do you wish me to proclaim myself? I am inseparable from the Father. I and the Father are one. I dwell with the Father in heaven. And when I dwell in your heart, the Father and myself will dwell together in you. And when the Holy Spirit descends upon you, you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abides in you. So we'll have the Holy Trinity in us because we cannot separate the Holy Trinity from each other. So this divine promise that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit will dwell in us is a general promise made to every believer who loves God and keeps his commandment. So the Father and the Son will transform our heart to be a divine home, temple, church, you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abide in you. So, he has shown us in this verse, verse 23, how the Father and the Son can take up their dwelling in the hearts of the believer. Verse 24. But he who does not love me does not keep my word. And the word which you hear is not mine, 
but the fathers who sent me. So as if he's saying, if you don't keep my word, then you don't love me. And these words are not my word. They are the word of the father. So that's why the father and the son will not come and dwell in the heart of the person who does not keep my word. So in this verse 24, show how they could not be manifested to the world. Why? He's answered the question. Why the world cannot see Christ or the Father? He, does not, he that does not love Christ does not keep his word. And the word of Christ is the word of the Father. And he has rejected the love of God who is revealed in the Son. So the person who rejected the love of God that's revealed in the Son has closed all the channels of communication with God. That's why God will not be manifested to him. God cannot dwell with him because there is in him nothing which can be receptive of the divine presence. There is nothing in the world can be receptive of the divine presence. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. So, now Jesus from verse 25 to the end of the chapter to verse 31, he returned to a further discussion about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit will provide to us after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord is saying to them, I taught you while I was personally present with you. But now I will ascend to the Father. And there are much more that you need to learn that you did not receive yet. So, the Holy Spirit will fulfill this need. After I ascend, the Holy Spirit will teach you and also will interpret my teaching and my words to you. That's why he said, verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your, rem to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he will teach you things that I did not teach you. And also he will bring to remembrance that what I taught you. He will interpret to you. He will give explanation to you. Uh, so the Holy Spirit now the Lord used before helper then he used the spirit of, of truth now he is clearly saying this helper is the Holy Spirit one hypostasis of the Holy Trinity the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in Jesus' name. 
and he will bring to remembrance he will remind them of the teaching of Christ and I want you to notice that the Lord when he spoke about the Holy Spirit he used he third person uh, not at even in the Greek because he's speaking about the third person of the Holy Trinity so it is theologically incorrect if you refer to the Holy Spirit as it no, should be he the Holy Spirit will not teach new truth because all the truth has been communicated to Christ he will not teach something that's contradicting the teaching of the Lord but the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance will interpret will explain will elaborate more about the teaching of Christ what the living Logos had spoken during his ministry on earth verse 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid so this chapter is started by let not your heart be troubled and the Lord is repeating it again so again seeing grief on their faces seeing an anxiety on their faces when he told them I will depart Holy Spirit will come with you and they cannot understand the depth of these words so Christ being about to die and leave his disciples now makes his last will and testimony and at the best legacy he could leave them he bestowed peace unto them this peace not just word as we say peace be with you but it is power that impart peace in their heart when he said peace be with you it's not just a mere wish but when he said my peace so now he's speaking actual possession of this peace he possesses this peace and now because I have it I will impart it to you St. Paul speak about the peace of God and describe it, this peace surpasses all understanding. We cannot comprehend it in Philippians chapter 4. On the birth of Christ, the angels chanted, Peace on earth. Glory to God on the highest, peace on earth. Now the Lord is saying, My peace, or peace to you. This was his own greeting when he returned victorious from the tomb after his resurrection. What is the first word he said when he appeared on Sunday? Peace to you. Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 This peace is the farewell gift to the disciples from whom he is now departing to the cross, then resurrection and ascension to heaven. And the Lord said there is difference 
between the peace that the world gives and the peace that I give to you. The world can refer, can refer sorry, to just mankind in general or the external and materialistic frame of the world. Peace that comes from luxury, peace that comes from richness of the world. So, the peace of the world, at best, is external one. But the peace of Christ is internal. External means depending on external circumstances. But the internal means, regardless of the external circumstances, even if I'm the furnace of fire or in prison, peace comes from within. My peace I leave with you. The peace of the world is very short, temporary, unstable, short-lived one. But the peace of Christ is everlasting and eternal. The peace of the world will not support under the troubles but the peace which Christ gave cheerfully carries the believer throughout all the difficulties and exercise of this life. So, there is different in kind, also there is different in the manner of giving and the persons to whom they are given. For example, the, the world gives peace in word only. That is the manner, in word. But Christ, indeed, in action, you will experience this peace. The world gives artificially, falsely. Peace depends on external circumstances. But Christ gives heartily, cheerfully, and excessively. And the Lord, after he told them, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Possessing the peace which he gives to them and having another advocate in the person of the Holy Spirit, having the Father and the Son abiding in them, then why their heart would be troubled? So the Lord told them, count the promises. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. You will be have another comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Father and me will dwell in you. So there is no room for trouble now. There is no room for fear if you believe these promises. Verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away. And coming back to you, I will leave you, but I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So, now he's taking them to a further step. I don't want you just not to be troubled, but rather to rejoice that I am going to the Father. So now he's taking them step by step. They were troubled. Now he told them, don't be troubled. Then he's taking them a further step. Now you should rejoice that I am going to the Father. 
So, not to be troubled for actually seven reasons mentioned in this chapter. Number one, I have many mansions to you and I'm going to prepare a place for you. For you. Number two, I am the way to the Father. Number three, if you see me, you are seeing the Father. So you will have theophany in me. You will see the Holy Trinity in me. Number four, uh, you will do my works even greater works. Number five, I will send you the helper, advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. Number six, the Holy Spirit will reveal Christ and reveal the Father to you. And number seven, the Father and the Son would come and dwell in the loving and obedient heart. When you love me and obey, I... So now there are seven reasons why you will not be troubled. Now I want you to move another step to rejoice. Uh, so not only to dismiss their fear and trouble, but to rejoice. His departure, I go to my father. I will return to the glory of the father's throne. And this should be a matter of joy for you, not sorrow. True love, if you really love me, true love, seek another's good, not my own selfishness. Their sorrow at his departure has its root in their selfishness. They want him to be with them. As when we sorrow, when our beloved or loved ones depart from us. But perfect love would cast out fear. I'm going to the Father. And if Jesus and the Father are one, uh, I'm going to the Father to the glory, so you will be happy. But he said, because the Father is greater than me. He said, I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. So if Jesus and the Father are one, how can the Father be greater than the Son? The Father is greater than the Son regarding the human nature of the Son. He was crucified. The Father was not. So Jesus is speaking here in his incarnation when he became man. Son. Paul explained this in Philippians chapter 2 from verse 6 to 8. He said, In his divinity, he has glory equal to the Father. Yet, he humbled himself on our behalf and took on our humanity. Who, Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So when Jesus said, I am God, he did not steal this. He is in reality God. But he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant, slave, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In doing all of this, the Father is greater than him. So while he was on earth, Jesus subjected himself to the Father as we humans must do. He was not talking about his nature because in his nature he is one with the Father, but he was talking about his condition. In his humanity, the Father is greater, but in his divinity, Father and the Son are equal. In his essence, they are equal. God, he, the, Jesus, and the Father are one. But heretics like Arius, who deny the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, claim that this text, Father is greater than I, assert the inferiority of the nature of Jesus to the Father. But no, it's about the condition, not the nature, not the essence. Unless somebody believe when the Lord said, my father is greater than I, lest somebody believe that Jesus is inferior to the Father, verse 29, the following verse, he said, and now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Believe what? Believe that I, am, I and the Father are one. So, I am telling you this in a prophetic way. So, this passage is a strong proof of his divinity. So, the omniscient God, the all-knowledgeable God, only God can tell of the things before they happen. And Jesus now is telling us about what will happen before they come. Then he is God. So, the will, the disciples and the believer. When the series of events will take place, they will believe that he is God when they see him going to the Father, doing all what he said he would do. And all what he said he was, they see these are true about him. Then he, they will believe. So, these words are more than just a spiritual consolation, but it is the announcement beforehand of the resurrection and ascension, and a, a proof that if he prophesied before his resurrection and ascension, this proof of his divinity. So, the fulfillment of Jesus' predictions or prophecies would strengthen their faith and give them the strength they need to endure any hardship or tribulation that will happen after that. Last two verses. I will no longer talk much with you. This was Thursday night. That's why he said, I, I, I am going to the trial right now. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So I don't have much time to talk more. 
my suffering is very near and at hand. The activity of the devil and the evil are at work right now. Satan entered into the heart of Judas and the spirit of evil was working and growing very strongly. Now Judas and the Jewish leader are conspiring against me. Judas and the Jewish leader are the instrument of Satan and the last conflict was about to happen. The ruler of this world is Satan. And this is the second time from three times. In, in, in the Gospel of John, he referred to Satan three times as the ruler of the world. First time in John 12, 31, John 14, 30, and John 16, 11. So the Lord said, he has nothing in me. Satan has nothing in me. So these words should be taken in their full and absolute meaning. This means Satan possessed nothing in the person of Christ. In Jesus, Satan never for a moment ruled. There, there is no sin in Jesus Christ. But in us, it is the sin in us that gives Satan power over us. That's why he became the ruler of this world. Uh, so when Jesus actually delivered to the cross his surrender is done by his own will and authority alone we should not understand that Satan defeated Jesus no his surrender to the cross and surrender of himself to the Jews is entirely voluntary, not because of defeat. Why the Lord referred to Satan ruler of this world? Why he did not say Satan? Uh, for two reasons. Number one, to tell us or to point out how powerful our adversary is. This adversity that I'm about to engage with. And the second reason to bring to our attention that we expect from the world hatred, persecution, because the world is ruled by Satan. And if Satan is the ruler of the world, then he will have such influence on the mind of the people of the world. So they will hate us and they will persecute us. So, ruler of the world, first reason, because the, Jesus will actually engage with this powerful ruler of the world, but he will defeat him on the cross. And to us, that the world is ruled by Satan, so what do we expect from the world? Hatred and persecution. The last verse, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father give me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So, but the world may know that I love the Father. He has asserted that he is without sin. Satan 
has nothing in me which makes his act wholly self-determined his act on the cross I determined this completely by my own will and authority alone why I did this Jesus is saying because I love the father and the father his will to save the world and as the father say I do so as if he is saying that the world may know that I love the father and because of my love to the father and the father give me commandment to save the world so I do so I offer myself as a sacrifice because I love the father and the father give me commandment to save the world so I'm doing this commandment so now he's expressing his subordination to of his own will to the father's will so now he told the disciples Satan has nothing in me to strengthen their faith that when they see him crucified this was not defeat at the hand of Satan in fact all of this was planned even before the creation of the world the son will have to save the world by his suffering this is the will of the father and the desire of the son so this was the reason why the Lord asked his disciple uh, to arise and leave this place and after he said but the world that the world may know that I love the father and as the father give me commandments so I do arise let us go from here arise let us go from here arise I'm going by my own will to deliver myself to surrender myself by my own authority to the cross so now that is why the reason the Lord asked his disciples to arise and to leave the place so he would deliver himself to death as St. John Chrysostom said the Lord spoke these words to lift up the spirit of his disciples he wanted to let them know that he was going to death willingly and not due to any coercion he went to Gethsemane willingly he could hide himself hide himself in a mountain but he went to Gethsemane where Judas knew that he's going there to deliver himself to death by his own authority alone. This actually concludes chapter 14 from the Gospel of St. John. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.